Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 2 and 15 And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. What's interesting is that in Hebrew, the phrase will overtake you, come upon you and overtake you, which is spoken in relation to blessings and curses, means they will be brought as gifts into the sanctuary. They will be brought as servants of the sanctuary. They will come upon you as harvest. They will surround you as an army. So if this is a blessing, then it's going to surround you like a, an army. If it's a curse, it's going to also surround you like, a, like an army. It's going to pursue, pursue you wherever you may turn. This is a harvest. They will become garments that you will be clothed in. So either the garments of curse or blessing. They will be placed on your head as a garment of righteousness or a crown of shame. Therefore, the, the thought or the idea that is placed in this promise is this. We are offered either blessing or curse. To fulfill the blessing, we need to not strive toward the blessing, but to focus, and fo to focus on hearing and obeying the voice of the Lord. This kind of behavior will be viewed as the fulfillment of our role or the fulfillment of certain conditions that are expressed in obeying the commandments of God. And for the fulfillment of curses, it's necessary to focus on blessings, or rather to take upon ourselves the role of God. This kind of behavior is 
is non-compliance and it is viewed as pride in our attempt to take the place of God. Thus says the Lord for all the things my hand has made and all those things exist. I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Let us take a look here. God will look on the one who is humble before his word, who trembles before his word, because people don't tremble before blessings. When a person waits for blessings, he doesn't tremble before them. And they don't motivate a person to to be humble. They motivate him to be prideful. People will say, see, I'm right. The Lord blesses me. If I wasn't right, I would not have had blessings. And this person says, see, I'm material blessed. Therefore, God is on my side. So these people, this is how they think. This is how they meditate. They think that God views the level of their spirituality according to the amount of money in their pocket or in their bank accounts. They see or they view that they're free from the spirit of poverty, whereas they are truly naked, blind, and so forth. Because here we're talking about riches of the word of God that must be must be that must take precedence over everything. The thing is, is that the blessings of God are God's role. They're not our role. We must not search for blessings. Scripture says that if you fulfill my commandments, then they will come as like a harvest. But people try to search for blessings. But blessings is a harvest of what we have sown. If you have not sown anything, then what are you searching for? Blessings. What? That which you sow, that thus you will reap. To give blessings is God's rule. He gives the harvest either in blessings or curses, depending on how we fulfill His commandments. And the fulfillment of commandments depends on our humility before the preached word. Therefore, humility in this case is the voluntary agreement that with what which God has allowed us to have. And this kind of joy is an act of godliness in great abundance. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 8. Here it doesn't say what kind of garments or what kind of food. Here it says that if you have some kind of clothes to cover your body and some kind of food to eat of, even if it's just bread and water, already it says if you have these, these garments and this bread and you will be happy, then this is a great blessing. For James had said to Lord, if you give me clothes and if you give me bread to, to eat, all that I have, or this is what Jacob had said, he says, I will divide a tent and I will give it to you if you give me clothes and bread. See, in the ancient world, in the old days, it was very important, life dependent on bread and on, on garments, clothes that could warm them and that was their, was like their blanket. Today, people don't see it this way. They're not happy with that, those clothes that they are dressed in. They're not happy with that food that they eat. And do you know that we're not happy with the food that we eat, what this food does to us? This food begins to not bless us, but to curse us. Because you're not eating it with joy, you're not eating it with thanksgiving. Only that food is a diet that feeds us for which we thank God. 
Not just according to religious actions, we say, Lord, thank you for this food, but we truly say, Lord, I thank you that I have what I have. And when you thank God, and when you eat, it will be unto health for you, despite the fact that dietologists say that, say that this is unhealthy food. But God will make it healthy, because however hard dietologists may work, you know that the death rate surrounding dietologists is the highest, most highest ever. The highest death rate among people is in those among doctors, and among doctors it's specifically dietologists. They have the highest death rate. The highest death rate of those who work with other people, psychologists, teachers, those who, um, those who are managers who work with people, they need to be peacemakers and they need to know how to work with people. When people come to them, it's like a person is a volcano of feelings, and if something's not right, then this person has high emotions, and you yourselves are also stirred by these emotions, but if you can't withhold this volcano, you also will, will be wrapped up in it. Therefore, this kind of different, difficult work of teachers, managers, directors, it lessens their life. The highest mortality rate is among dietologists. And now take a look. They tell people and say, you're going to live longer if you eat this or that. You're not going to eat longer because the diet that they give you, you don't like it. You eat it and you don't thank God for it because you don't like that food. Uh, a food that is usually eaten on diets is not, it doesn't normally taste very good, but people say that at least you will um, lose weight or at least you will do that. If you move, you sleep normally and and you eat normally, you will, you will lose weight. We must understand these things as children of God. And not from what we're feeling. Well, this food might not be good. I want something else, you might think. I only have bread. But thank God, because God has allowed you to have this today. It's God that has allowed this. And you should say, Lord, I thank you that you have allowed me to have this today. If you give me more, I will thank you for more. Today, I thank you for this. If there is no food, you will bow your head down and say, Lord, I thank you that finally I have no physical food. Now I can live only on the spiritual food that I have. Jesus said that not by bread alone shall man live, but according to the, but by the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. Second, humility is agreement with what and how God, God wills us to seek blessings. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Take a look. Those who read scripture, you have probably seen here that this is not there in Scripture. And Scripture says, Seek the kingdom of heaven and righteousness, 
then all of this shall be added to you. This is the kind of translation that exists. But the original does not mean search for the kingdom of heaven and righteousness. Why? Because the kingdom of God is the righteous the truth of God. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, righteousness, truth. And if this is truth, then how can I search for the kingdom of God separate from something from righteousness? If the righteousness of God is the kingdom, I must search for it in his righteousness. It means that the translators incorrectly translated it. We must search for righteousness in the kingdom of heaven, or not righteousness and the kingdom of heaven. These are mistranslated places of scripture. They say that the kingdom of heaven is one thing, righteousness is another thing, and all of this that shall be added. Uh, it should be searched, it should be sought together, because if we don't seek it, it'll never come. This is how I've, I've heard some kind of, some people preach. Even in our denomination, even, excuse me, in our church, there were those who were saying these things that I had to excommunicate. We search for the kingdom of heaven in his righteousness, and the rest, God says, shall be added to you. My role is to search for the kingdom of heaven in righteousness, and God's role is to give me that which he finds necessary to give me. Yes, sometimes a child at a table wants a candy, chocolate candy, on an empty stomach. He, does, he doesn't want oatmeal. He doesn't want something else that's been prepared for him. His parents say, no, until you eat this oatmeal, you won't receive candy. But when you receive this oatmeal, you'll get a piece of candy. But we're adult people. We don't need to be told these kind of things. But when we're infants, God does do this to us. He gives us as much so that we do not grow prideful. But sometimes God wants to be glorified and to show heaven and hell that his people love him independent on how much they have and therefore many saints who are men of faith who had endured a lot of famine hunger the whole world was not worthy of them and they are looked at as heroes of faith. They continue to praise God, to love God and to search for him. Many people having Little riches, uh, having many rich had, who had a lot of riches, like David, he called himself poor and weird because he felt hunger and thirst for the word of God. Third, humility is the agreement how we must be or what image we must be in the likeness of. Luke chapter 12, verse 36, And your souls be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Luke chapter 12, verse 36. This is the state of waiting, that he'll come quickly, or he'll come soon. He didn't say, I'll come at 6 p.m. He said, I'll come from 3 to 6 between these hours. And at this time, he waits. He doesn't know. Maybe he'll come at three. Maybe he'll come later. Well, I'm not ready. Everything must be ready for his arrival. When you see all of these things coming to fulfillment, know that this is close. We see that the sign of the times have come to their end.
Everyone is waiting and watching. Therefore, the church now more than ever must wait for rapture. But in order to have the guarantee for rapture, we must have the adoption of our bodies through the redemption of Christ. Rapture will be only those people whose bodies are adopted through the redemption of Christ. God will redeem people in heavenly bodies and not in human fleshly bodies. But for this, people must receive this promise. They must prepare their hearts to cleanse their hearts so that their soil could be good, and they must accept this precious promise and call it as if it was already there. When you have accepted it, it is already in your heart. Now, we thank God that we are carriers of heavenly bodies. And, thanks, and thanking God, we wait when this will occur. And we prepare, and this preparation means that we are waiting, we are waiting to see what else we need to do, what do I need to do so that when the time comes to adopt, the bodies through redemption of Christ could easily read in my heart, on the tablets of my heart, this vision clearly that you are waiting and you have hope. Fourth, humility is worship to God and spirit of truth that is expressed in acknowledging the authority of God, expressed in offering to Him our belongings in the image of our firstborn. And the Lord has said, All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, and if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Exodus chapter 34, verses 19 and 20. Firstborns is the equivalent in an expression of tithes. By offering our tithes, and our firstborns, we honor God as our king. Tithes take place of all firstborns under the condition that our firstborns are, excuse me, our tithes are first, that before you honor Caesar, you honor God, and only then you will handle your bills. One person had come to me once and said, Pastor, what do I do? If I, will, if I give God my tithes, I won't have enough to pay my bills. I said, God is the first place. Give it. And then look, find a way how to pay. And then why don't you have enough? Because you have a lot of credit. You have a lot of credit. Too much credit. Too more, more than you can pay off. You're going to beat yourself even further in it. You must ask God for wisdom and to understand that first, first means for the Lord. God is against for you to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But give God what belongs to him first and then deal with your accounts and your bills. Ask God for wisdom how you should handle this money what you should use it for. And God is going to give you this wisdom. We are going to honor God right now with tithes and offerings. And we are going to thank him that we have this honor and this opportunity and privilege and we will sing together. The land is known to us. Let us stand together and let us remember that each time when we honor God with tithes and offerings, we express before Him our love and we acknowledge 
his authority over us. And so, let us sing together. And I will remind you that each time Israel had honored tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words that Moses had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands on their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, sent or part of the same root drinking the same tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand a symbol of your righteous act over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely. I do not give in sorrow. And I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, Right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Приготовленный для Божьей 
And so, those who have a Bible, you can open along with me to a familiar place of Scripture to us that contains in itself the great mystery of the relations between man and God and God with man. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. And so the opportunity to find or return to the ancient path of goodness is the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gates, which in scriptures are called the elementary principles, that is, the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. This is the bond of truths that flow from one another and verify the authenticity of one another that can be acknowledged only through discipleship by listening to the preached word about the nature and powers of the kingdom of heaven. The essence of the kingdom of heaven itself, which Christ called the kingdom gospel, is characterized in Christ's reigning teaching by such unearthly qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Speaking of these three qualities which characterize the kingdom of heaven within man, we must remember that this passage of Scripture is not telling us to obtain these qualities, but to proclaim and demonstrate them. Here we're talking about how when a person has this kingdom by which, by which it can be defined, you are a light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Here we are talking about how you already have this kingdom, you are already this light. This tells us that in order to obtain the kingdom of heaven in the form of these three qualities, in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, which have no analogs in any dictionary in the world, we must first find it. And therefore, to search for the kingdom of heaven as the ancient path of goodness should be done through the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy, which abide in the depths of the Holy Spirit. They are going to be given to us as a seed, and then we must grow it into fruit. And all of this we can do only in the depths of the Holy Spirit, because these virtues dwell in the Holy Spirit. They are His nature, and as we've previously noted, very few are able to find the ancient path of goodness in the subject of narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Christ. 
начнут поносить его как некое еретическое заблуждение, в результате чего им придется наследовать погибель. This, according to the repeated statements of scripture, means that many who, due to their own cruelty and ignorance, will not be able to find the narrow gates in their reading teaching of Christ, and they will begin to reproach it as a heretical error, as a result of which they will inherit eternal perdition. But those who humble their heart before God and become his disciple in order to enter through the narrow gates expressed in the reading teaching of Jesus Christ will inherit eternal life. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. While studying the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who according to the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the order that is present in the teaching of Christ. This is the image of the four rivers flowing from Eden for the irrigation of the garden, which are the prototype of the four main reigning teachings of Christ, each of which has a triplicity of different functions, which total to twelve. The number twelve is the image and standard of the twelve hours in the day, yielding the order of the kingdom of heaven in the twelve gates of the new Jerusalem and the twelve foundations of its wall. Because earthly Jerusalem did not have 12 gates. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, a new version of our translation. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the, or sprinkling ourselves with the discussion of the mentioned principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. So four teachings we have here. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the doctrine of baptism, which expresses itself in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. Therefore, according to this sequence offered by the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul, we will turn to the next doctrine. This is the doctrine of laying on of hands that is presented on the southern side of the New Jerusalem in three gates. Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 to 12. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It had twelve gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. This is the bride of the Lamb. It had three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And again, on these gates were written the twelve tribes of Israel. What is significant is that entering into the heavenly Jerusalem is possible only through all 12 gates taken together. Psalms 122 verses 2 through 5, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David.
Three southern gates, representing the doctrine of laying on of hands, an image of the powers that are contained on the southern side of the sanctuary, and which stood a golden lamp symbolizing the mind of Christ in a reborn spirit, thanks to which a holy person could penetrate the thoughts of God and keep a covenant made with God, given the fact that the covenant of man with God and God with man consists of three baptisms, it follows that in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, the doctrine of laying on of hands contains three ascending degrees of a covenant with God. This is the covenant of blood, the covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest. The conclusion and functions of these three covenants are called to be made, flow, and abide in the three baptisms, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and baptism in fire. Therefore, the doctrine of laying on of hands is the doctrine about a covenant made between God and man and man with God. Laying on of hands is an image of the legal aspect in which a person, with his own hand, signs an agreement with God in which he consciously promises to serve God with a good conscience. In Scripture, as far as we know, any sacrifice made to God was called to bear the burden of the hand of the one who offered or brought the sacrifice. And any Jew in his time knew this. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4, that he should put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. When a person wanted to be cleansed of his sins, he brought a sacrifice and he laid a, his hand on his head and then he proclaimed or confessed his sins and then the priest would offer the sacrifice and it says, and he will put his hand on the head of the offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. The atonement for sin through the laying on of the hand on the head of the sacrifice, which is which in the face of the Son of Man takes sin upon itself, is accepting justification in which God does not impute sin to man. Laying on of hands is an image of proclaiming the faith of our heart in that Jesus is Lord and that God has resurrected him for our justification. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10. Furthermore, laying on of hands outside of the norms of the covenant and not according to the norms of the covenant will not gain favor in the atonement for sins because it was through the laying on of hands that the sins of a person were transferred to the head of the innocent sacrifice and the innocence of the sacrifice transferred to the head of the one who offered it. That is why a prayer that is not founded on a covenant with God made with him in baptisms will not be successful. And so we have three levels of a covenant that pursues one goal but fulfills three different functions that are presented in three different names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then, God, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I came... When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So practically Moses did not know the name of God Israel. 
He wanted to know his name. In doing so, he said, all right. He says, I am the God of your father. She says, okay, well, I will go to them and I will say that I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. Our partaking to the dignity of the names of these three fathers is called to occur through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. A curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so the blessing of Abraham that is contained in the covenant that God made with Abraham is an imperishable inheritance expressed in the richness of faith that Abraham possessed and to which we are called in Christ Jesus. As it is written, listen, my beloved children, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James 2.5 According to the meaning contained in this passage, we can conclude that the covenant between God and man is the legal right to enter into and obtain the imperishable inheritance. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Exodus chapter 2, verses 24-25 If these people were to not have had this covenant, God would not have remembered them. They were bound to the covenant, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this covenant was on their body. They were circumcised. And that's why God had seen their moment and groanings, and he saw his, their tie to this covenant, because in fact God had blessed not them, but God blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God made a covenant with their fathers. But they, already those who were descendants, they were a part of it through circumcision. And from these words, any actions that God does that are tied to the fulfillment of his promises depend on the covenant made with God and a person's fulfillment of his role outlined by God in this covenant. God had heard them thanks to the fact that they had fulfilled their role. They had the circumcision, and therefore they were part of it. And so together we can receive partaking to the blessings contained in the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob only through faith in Jesus Christ, which we have sealed in the baptisms of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. The greatness of the blessings is comprised of the fact that all three of these men, although they lived in the land of promises, consider themselves sojourners and foreigners because all of them sought the imperishable inheritance expressed in the city whose builder and maker is God. In fact, what God has promised them was not the promised land. If this was the promised land, then why would they call themselves sojourners while living in this land? 
Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 10. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 10 they had a revelation when God spoke they understood that the promised land is simply an image that in fact on its own it could not yield but it is only an image a foreshadowing therefore they sought after this and living on this promised land they lived in tents they lived as foreigners. They called themselves foreigners. They sought for the they searched for the kingdom of heaven and righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Second, the covenant between God and man is a covenant that is everlasting, firm, and immutable. Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 4 through 7. And he shall be the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without cloud, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. According to these words, it follows that the firmness and immutability of a covenant with God will depend on the fulfillment of a certain condition, to be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear and throw out the thorns out of our life and burn them with fire in their place. Because, in fact, we are talking about the heart of a person. Because God makes a covenant in the heart of a person with his spirit. This covenant is uh, imperishable, and there exist thorns that must be uprooted, uprooted, so that we do not touch it with our hands, but be armed with a spear and iron. In one of his parables, Jesus tells us that thorns are dependent on riches and the cares of this world. And if we don't tear them out of our heart, then the soil of our heart will never be good soil so that it can receive the good seed of the kingdom of heaven. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. Third, the covenant between God and man is a kind of agreement about what relations and collaboration will look like. Genesis chapter 17, verses 3 through 16. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. Take a look here. There is built an 
uh, a contract, an agreement. There is God's rule, the role of man. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. You follow, keep this covenant. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. That I will bless her, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. If a person does not proclaim with his, with his lips the faith of his heart, he shall be cut off from his people. We've already talked about her circumcision. The circumcision in the flesh of his foreskin is tied to make a covenant with God when we proclaim what the faith of our heart is, that God is our master and that God has resurrected him for our justification. When we truly proclaim this, and this is the faith of our heart, this is that circumcision on our, in our spiritual life. Genesis chapter 17, verses 3 through 16. And this he spoke when she was barren, when she was already old in age, and when physically no doctor could give them any kind of guarantee that Sarah could bear children. But this agreement places a responsibility upon a person to call the inexistent as existent. Call the inexistent, call Sarah, Sarai, Sarah, she who has the mother of nations. And Sarah was supposed to call Abraham, Abraham, not Abram. And they had to fulfill this vow. Whereas God, accepts upon himself to make this inexistent as existent. It is worth paying attention to the fact that in order to call the non-existent as though it exists, circumcision is necessary because it serves as a sign of the covenant between man and God. First, he gives them a covenant of circumcision, and then he says, now after this circumcision, you must call circumcision. This is all done in the covenant. Circumcision is evidence of the cross of Christ, in which through the cross of the Lord Jesus, the earth was crucified to us and we were crucified to it. It is that same state of soil of the heart that is called good soil, in which the seed of the imperishable inheritance is sown. If the heart is not circumcised, if a person does not have righteousness, for many saints, as far as you know, and the churches that surround us. They try to achieve righteousness through good works, through fasting, through prayers, by wearing a veil on their head, long hair so that it's not cut, not doing any kind of makeup, wearing long skirts, not wearing ties, washing their feet, bearing children, 
In order to gain this kind of righteousness, they are told that if you do all these things, then you will gain righteousness. Uh, however, if you don't, you're not righteous, you're not holy. They, stay, they sometimes believe that you, are, you could be righteous only perhaps in the evening time and not in the morning, because if you grow angry at your husband or you grow impatient, then you lose your righteousness. They don't really understand what truly righteousness is, how it is given, how it is accepted. They can't proclaim it, and this means that they are not circumcised. And despite the fact that they are baptized in water in the Holy Spirit, this baptism becomes not baptism for them. They can't use it. It isn't circumcision. It has not circumcised them. They search for evangelism through their good works. They are taught that you must do this, you must do that, and so forth. Whereas God, in order for us to be righteous, he says, you don't need to do anything. You can't do anything. How could a sinner do something in order to become righteous? How can a snake turn into a dove if she was born a dove, if she was born a snake? First, you must be born a dove, then you can bear an egg, and from this egg, obviously, will be a dove. Therefore, God gives righteousness as a gift of grace. You must know what this gift is, how to accept it, upon what conditions. And when a person accepts it, not paying attention to who he is, but what God has done, God imputes this to him as righteousness. Now, people, people sometimes say, if you're righteous, you must not do this and that, and nothing will happen to you. And if you're righteous, you're not going to be sick. And many people who practice healing, they say that any illness is a result of human sin. That's what the people of Israel had believed as well. They said to Christ, Lord, who had sinned, him or his parents? He was born blind. He was born blind. He couldn't sin. Why is he sin? For what sin uh, is, did he become blind if he was born blind? Christ said, this is not he who said, nor his parents, that he was born blind. He said, but I have come in order to demonstrate my glory. I have come to make him see. This is another question. We must understand what occurs, that a person can't call the inexistent as existent without having circumcision, without having righteousness. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, and having accepted the imperishable inheritance as the faith of our hearts, which has been placed on our accounts in heaven, but has not yet been unsealed, we begin to proclaim it with our lips as though it exists. So, 
Going back to First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Reserve in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. If we will keep this covenant, then we will be saved. If we grow this fruit, only then will we be saved. If we call this inexistent as existent, and then we will be saved. Because for Abraham and Sarah, this inheritance was expressed in their children, but in fact it turns out that it was expressed in that they sought for the city whose maker and builder is God. They didn't see their inheritance, their children, their children was an image of the fruit that we must bring. What are children? The fruit of the womb. This is the fruit of the Spirit that we must, or that God waits from us. He has made, furthermore, fourth, the covenant between God and man is the collaboration of the mind of Christ with the mind of man. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, but the natural carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Paul says, Those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, who exercise spiritual gifts, says, You do not have any lack in any gift. And then he says, I cannot speak to you, brothers, as I was speaking with those who are spiritual, but as infants in Christ. But again, you perhaps have come out of these churches where if there is a practice of spiritual gifts, you are no longer um, infants, you are spiritual because you pray about healing. And if there is some kind of healing done somewhere, scammers, in the end days, they are going to try to exaggerate such big things, saying, look what God is doing. God did not want this. God wanted this to be a part of the human faith. For a person, by faith, to accept his healing, calling the inexistent, although it did not exist, and waiting for it, keeping this word of hope so that his faith could grow in this way. When you receive this, when you, there is a difference between a gift and the fruit of faith. There is a gift of faith and there is a fruit of faith. When there exists the gift of faith in this, this might puff up the heart of a person, but when there is fruit, it humbles the heart of a person. Because he receives this through humility, and this humility he receives, he receives it as fruit. 
и приходит в полную меру возраста Христова, в котором он перестает увлекаться... According to these words, it follows that a covenant between God and man gains power under one condition, when a person leaves infancy and grows to the full measure of the stature of Christ, in which he stops being swayed by all kinds of winds of teaching. While he remains carnal or an infant, the covenant does not work, it does not step into power. He is in a covenant, but this covenant doesn't work. In this agreement, it says that a covenant will step into power when you leave out of infancy. Just like, for example, when you place upon your child, upon his account, for example, you place a million dollars and you say, son or daughter, when you are when you turn 21 years old, then only then you will be able to take this money. But until 21, you can't take it. She's going to say, I have a million dollars. Show me your million dollars. Well, I'm not 21 years yet. When I'm 21 years old, then I will be able to take it from off of my cow. Here is the same principle working. The covenant does not work while we are, remain carnal or infants in Christ. The, carnal, the covenant doesn't work at all. It works only, or it steps into power only when we come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Because how can it work when a carnal person calls spiritual things as, as foolish? Just like I've told you before, when the Holy Spirit had prompted me to proclaim this church as our house of prayer, after which I came out, the brother said to me, Brother Akadi, this is good, but if, if nothing rings in your pocket, so if you don't have money, I can't proclaim anything. So he needs to touch, feel, see, and then he'll know it's his. But when God says, this is ours, but we have no, and we had no opportunity at that time when we had come to America to buy this church, nine months later after I had proclaimed this, after I had proclaimed this, nine months later, it became ours. I'm showing this as an example. They proclaim these things, they preach these things, they excite the emotions in people. But this is not found in the hearts of people. They don't know what the inexistent is, how to call it if it can't be touched or can't be seen with physical eyes. They don't understand these things. The mind of Christ is a definition of the wisdom of God in the heart of a person that is able to number days. We are talking about the one covenant between man and God, that is, the collaboration of the mind of Christ with the mind of man. Therefore, the mind of Christ, or the powers that are contained in the covenant, it is found in that covenant, and we can use it only when we stop being infants. Psalms 90, verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses understood quite well that he was going to be an infant, or the people would be an infant until they are not, until they are taught. Only having been taught can we grow into the full measure of the stature of Christ and become spiritual, and only then the mind of Christ will become our achievement, the mind of Christ that is found in the powers of the one covenant with God. What's interesting is that to number means count, to determine, be numbered, be ranked, be appointed. According to this meaning, to number our days is to understand our eternal calling in God as well as the power, that cooperation with which we are called to realize this calling. 
to be appointed, to be a part of it, to number means to call the inexistent as existent. Teach us how to number our days. How do we attribute it to ourselves, to number, to attribute it to ourselves? Teach us to number our days. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12, 15 through 16, and verse 36. I wisdom dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge and discretion. By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, all the judges of the earth. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Take a look here. When are we able to rule over ourselves? By me kings reign. Our prince's rule. How can we say, when are we going to try to justify our, our desires by ripping out pieces of scripture in order to uh, justify ourselves so our conscience does not judge us? Here it says, when you are able to use the mind of Christ, when you are going to be able to come out of infancy, you won't do such things. Because wisdom dwells with prudence, with knowledge and discretion. When it talks about the renewed spirit of a person, not with the decaying mind of a person, with the fleshly mind, but the renewed mind of man. Considering this kind of cooperation of the wisdom of God, mind of Christ, with the abilities of our mind, the doctrine of laying on of hands, which contains the powers of three covenants, is the teaching about the cooperation of the wisdom of God with the renewed mind of a person made dependent on a good heart. So our renewed mind, already renewed, it is going to be dependent on the heart. Until the mind is renewed, it's going to say with his emotions, I feel in my heart, he feels in his heart that is not yet washed, that is not yet cleansed, and that is not yet good. But when it is washed, when it is good, then he's not going to reign. He will make himself dependent on his heart. The wisdom of God presented in the book of Sol the Proverbs of Solomon is not something impersonal or indefinite, but it is a completely concretized and personified person which is clearly seen as a son of God who speaks to us and reveals himself in the dignity of the name Wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, everywhere it says Wisdom, it talks about the person, Jesus Christ, who reveals himself in the name Wisdom. The Son of God possessed this name from eternity long before the creation of the visible and invisible spheres, and it is precisely through the powers of this name that belongs to God the Son of God, that the Heavenly Father created the visible and the invisible by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Heavenly Father created this. Here is how, in the same book about the powers of this name, the Son of God testifies of himself long before his incarnation. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. 
If, the, if wisdom was without a person, here wisdom says, as a person, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Here, this is wisdom that says, before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting. From the beginning, there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, so he always had dwelled in the depths of the Father, and at once God had brought him out of these depths. He had given birth to him like dew. And then, having given birth to him, through him, he began to make the thrones, the invisible and invisible. We'll see this further on. He says, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22. 31. Here is how the Holy Spirit unveils thought through Apostle Paul, presenting the essence of the Son of God as an image of the invisible God. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. When it talks about he is the beginning, meaning he the commander, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the pre preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should well. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 19. This revelation reveals the mystery of the cooperation between God and man, which he laid as a foundation of his covenant. It is thanks to the wisdom of God. God makes a covenant with man who is in his image, who by nature is akin to him. So when we are born again, he makes a covenant with that person who has been born again. Outwardly, this is a weapon. We give this body over, these members of our body, over to righteousness, to the new man. Just as previously we had given it to uh, the weapons of sin, now we give it over to the weapons of righteousness. It is thanks to the wisdom of God in the face of the Son of God that the visible world was created according to the image of the invisible world. As it is written, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The deep means depth, depth of waters. The earth was without form, without life. It was empty, covered with darkness on the face of the deep. The planet earth, through the word of wisdom and through the word of wisdom, was then perfected. When we are born again, when we, we are like this earth, that was covered in these waters and nothing was built on it. And only through wisdom we begin to build ourselves. 
The principles and laws of management and administration were introduced and implemented to maintain the order of this earth. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Why did he make them so that they can rule to separate light from darkness for the sign of the day, times, years? Considering that day and night in this case are a creation of God, because there is a tendency of some preachers who say that everything that is surrounding night is Satan, everything that is uh, surrounding day is, is all from God. The scripture says that there is a night that is godly and there is a day or light that could also be satanic when Satan uh, presents himself as an angel of light. It could be on the contrary as well. But in this case, when God created night and day, this is He that created it. This was His creation. It cannot be bad. And therefore, He takes two great lights. And this is His creation. They were and they unveiled His essence, according to the image of which he made man. It follows that the cooperation of two great lights is an image and prototype of a covenant between God and man and man with God. Two great lights. The contents and powers of this covenant builds a legal relationship between these two sovereign sides and defines before one another the responsibility for the fulfillment of their role. The light that comes from the two great lights that are called to rule the day and night of the human essence is information that comes from God in the format of His commandments. The day is yours, the night also is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun, you have set all the borders of the earth. Psalms chapter 74, verses 16. 17. Light is the revelation of God. Night is the reborn spirit of a person. So it is found in this darkness. God favors to dwell in the darkness. Night is inaccessible light. It is called night because there is a certain function that God does at night, and you know this function. Day is a renewed mind of a person that is made dependent on his good heart on his night. God speaks to the spirit of a person, whereas the heart, through intuition, reveals what God has said to the mind of a person. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Psalms 19, verse 2. God reveals knowledge, so when a person penetrates into his thoughts, into God's night, God's darkness, God reveals his knowledge, and the person gains access to knowledge. Night unto night reveals knowledge. God will not reveal this knowledge to our renewed mind, because there exists order. Night unto night reveals knowledge. God speaks into our spirit, and then our spirit through intuition, day unto day, utters speech. The cooperation of these two great lights comprises the fact that God commands and a person unreservedly does what God has commanded. What is a one covenant with God? God commands in this covenant and man fulfills what God He gives an agreement 
to fulfill what God has given. This is the essence of a covenant. John 8.12 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To follow the one who is the light to the earth is to immediately and without compromise fulfill his commandments, because this light operates and manifests itself through the hearing of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. Light is the word Word about the kingdom of heaven, the preached word, the teaching. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated set. So he went and washed and came back seeing. John chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. This historic event reveals the principle of cooperation between these two great lights, or the cooperation between the mind of Christ and the renewed mind of man. Man's role is presented in the heritage of Abraham, standing in a covenant with God and having a seal of this covenant on their body. Body, which verifies their partaking to the covenant of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this heritage is blind at work. Birth. This is that person that is blind from his birth. He has said to him, He had made clay, had anointed his eyes from the saliva. Spat on the ground, he made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He was born blind. He did not have eyes. When you read in the original what it means to be born blind, it does not mean that he had eyes. He didn't have, he didn't have actual eyes. He had the hollow part of it. He had anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's written that he went and washed, and he came back seeing. God had given him eyes. He had laid eyes there. And what does this say? This was a person who was born from Jews, who knew God, who honored God. Despite the fact that he was blind, he was born in the house according to the covenant, and he was circumcised on the eighth day. They gained sight when this cooperation between them and God that is founded on the powers that are contained in a covenant with God. Any person born of God and stepping into a covenant with God is blind at birth. We did not become spiritual right away, right? We were infants for some time, and that means that we were blind. That means all of us, having been infants, are born blind. All of us are born blind. He can begin to see thanks to certain agreements contained in a covenant with God first, only on the Sabbath. This, occurred, this healing occurred on the Sabbath. He had come to this bath on the Sabbath, and he had done this on the Sabbath. And second, only after fulfilling his role for which he carries responsibility before God, he was supposed to go in the bath of Shiloam and he was supposed to wash himself. This occurred on the Sabbath, and this person was supposed to fulfill his role. God fulfilled his role. He had anointed his eyes with this clay. And we, you know what clay means, what it means to spit. This is a symbol of a curse. He took and he anointed his eyes. This was a curse, and this curse was contained 
His death. This was the cross of Christ. This was his death. He took it upon himself. So he takes, this is his spit, this is his saliva. In scripture, to spit means to curse. To spit means to curse. The earth was cursed. One curse was mixed with another curse, and it destroyed the curse of infancy, the curse of carnal nature, the, this foolishness. When a person follows all kinds of winds of teaching, after a person's gained sight by washing his eyes and shalom, he ceases to be an infant in Christ and becomes a perfect man who will never be swayed by different winds of teachings, and he will never sit on the road so that his beauty is abhorred when he opens his legs to everyone who passes by. So there had to be though, this washing, and this washing is the teaching. Go, there will be the teaching. There is no teaching, you won't be a disciple. He had to listen to him, he had to go, and he had to, to learn. And there you will gain sight. People say, no, I want it to be done this way. And finally, when he washes his eyes in Shiloam, he ceases to be he ceases to be an infant in Christ and becomes a perfect man. You built your high places at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You can't listen to everyone. You can't accept the seed of the word from everyone. You can listen to it, but you can't accept it. There is a difference between these. Here is what God says about infants who don't understand when God sends a person, not people, but one person into our life through whom he will give us the seed about the kingdom. He says, you built your high place at the head of every road and made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. This he turned to the people of Israel. And Paul says that the people of Israel is an image of infancy. A heart that is the door for everyone who walks or passes by cannot be called a good soil. A good heart, accepting the seed about the kingdom of heaven, is the field that lies far beyond the door, far beyond the road. And so when a person begins to see after being washed in the waters of Shiloam, at that moment he becomes a light to the world that cannot be invisible to the world and to saints. When a person becomes spiritual, it's not going to be possible to hide him. Just like it's impossible to, to cover a scent, an aroma. You can't carry this kind of fragrance if it is out in the open. You can't hide it. Just like light, you can't hide. In any dark room, light a match or a small flame, and even one small match 
can overcome the darkness of wherever it is. Why it will light always overcome darkness? Because there where there is darkness, wherever light appears, there is no more darkness. Darkness runs away from this light. Light overcomes winds. He says, you are light of the world. When do you become? Before he said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me. But now he says, you are light to the world. And oftentimes, infants say, we are light to the world, they say. Brothers and sisters, you are light to the world. Don't deceive people. Say that God has called them to be light, but they can only be light to the world only when they come to power, when the covenant begins to work in them. Moses, having come to power, he was an infant for some time. He was carnal. He must have power in order to see. But before this, a person looks at everything and guesses. Take a look at how people guess. They open the Bible and say, they, they say, oh, no, 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 this is dangerous. And they say, Lord, Lord, oh, reveal to me what you want to say to me. I won't say, but there are very many things one brother had come and he had said to, to his pastor, this is what was taught in churches. Many had used this practice, and he says to his pastor, I had done this and that. I opened the Bible. He had a problem, and he wanted to be rid of this problem. He was in sin. And to be rid of sin, he wanted to find an answer how to get out of this problem. And he pointed his finger in the Bible, and he reads, Judah went and he killed himself. Oh, no, no, Lord. And he opened the Bible, and again he prayed, and he opened up, he pointed his finger to a random place. Go and do the same, was what it said. But this wasn't just something that was related to Judah, this was just written where he says, who is my, my neighbor? And Christ says, him and him. And he says, this is my neighbor. He says, go you and do the same. But his finger falls on it, and he then puts two and two together that Judas killed himself, and then it says, go you and do it together. Do you think that this was a coincidence? No, this was a devil. This was the devil controlling his finger. Because people, they tried to point their fingers to find out what is truth and what is not. If two witnesses tell me they say two witnesses means one you have seen at Fred Meyer and the other somewhere else who had said, yes, truly, this is right. But here it says two witnesses out of Scripture, two truths out of Scripture that will verify that thought or that idea that you have. Only then will, be, will every word be firm. People aren't taught. And therefore, this is what happens. They can't be a light to the world. You are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We know that a lampstand means to be light to one another, but a light to the world, a city that is set on a hill, this is to live a kind of life that the world can see you as a light. Видел вас свет, а не соблазнялся на вас. 
Let your light so shine before men, and that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Good works serve as a light to the world, as well as a congregation of holy people. Good works are our role that preserve us in a covenant with God. Light is good works. If there are no good works that are made in God, with God, and for God, our covenant with God will be abolished. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. Do you have the opportunity today? The things that are going on in the geo, geopolitical structure of the world, where different countries are brought to peace, he will say, can this, all of this happen, all these countries coming to peace together? He will say, the way things are right now, it's impossible. There's no diplomat that is going to be able to do this. But there will be a person who appears. That's why everyone is going to surprise that to do all of this, this isn't man who can do this, that this is a supernatural person, this is an alien who can do this. They will say, no, this is not a person. Then, the guru, the animal, the beast that comes out of the earth, who has two horns, who does miracles, wonders, and says that he is Christ. This kind of beast can come out only of those religious structures where there are prophecies, where there is miracles, where there are prophets, and so forth. Through these prophecies, in the face of this beast, this person will be appointed that he is the Son of God, so-called Son of God, the Messiah. Therefore, he was able to do this, they're going to say. This person is going to be a president of Europe. Today already occurs. I'm watching very closely at how certain events are unfolding very quickly. Israel is on the territory of the former Roman Empire, and in order for the Antichrist to be revealed, it's necessary for Israel to come out of the authority of America and to enter into unity with Europe, to become a part of Europe, to become part of the European Union. How can this occur? Today, America is trying to control the South, the East. That's why it's trying to do everything it can to, to protect this area. It doesn't want to let go of it, but the time is approaching. And America isn't going to be able to, con to control it. And right now, this part of the world is beginning to raise their, their heads. How long will this last? The salt in, is in who is right, who is wrong. The salt is in the fact that there was Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the prime minister of Israel, and he said a certain word against the president. This was not according to protocol. He didn't want Obama to come, and he, going against Obama, he came here 
and he stepped out into Congress. There were 60 congressmen who, um, who did not come to this. Obama with his cabinet also didn't come to this, to this gathering. He said there a very interesting thing. He said that Israel cannot hope in a kind of friend like America if America is going to be based only on their own interests without considering the interests of Israel because America right now wants to make with Iran a certain kind of agreement to take sanctions off of it. But he said, you can't take sanctions off of it because they, in their constitution, says that the killing of any kind of Jew is, is unnecessary. And the leader said, why shall we, they should gather all here in one place and we will destroy them. Netanyahu says, this is my country, I must protect it. And he challenged American government. It's very possible that they are going to um, come into argument. Israel will, will look to Europe for help, and then they will become a part of Europe. And as part of Europe, they're, not going, to, they're going to be untouchable. I'm talking about it will be untouchable to the Muslim, to the terrorists. There's going to be some kind of union. Israel wants their, they're going to see their salvation there. And this is going to occur in order for the Antichrist to be revealed. The political structure is being prepared. And even the, even the things structured in the church right now are being prepared. The church must understand what is going on in the world. And this can all happen very quickly. Right now, practically, the whole world is looking and focused on, on wars. It's impossible. It should not be. We should not stop on some kind of ideology and be against someone or for someone. We must observe. We are the citizens of heaven. We must observe what is happening on the earth. The interests of Israel, of course, must be primary for us because God is going to fulfill judgment over Israel. He is gathering there not to save them, but in order for them to to have their blood spilled because they, in their time, had killed their king. He will gather them there. And this is going to be a kind of holocaust that the earth has not yet known yet. But all this will happen after the rapture of the church when the Antichrist will come to power. And despite the fact that he is going to be a Jew according to his origin, still, this is going to be the Antichrist who is going to despise the church and the Jews. And as soon as the church will not be in his way any longer, meaning the bride will be raptured, he can't be revealed right now because the bride needs to be raptured. And when he is revealed, when there is no bride anymore on the earth, the first thing that he's going to do Despite the fact that Israel is going to be a part of the Europe, he's going to gather an army. He's going to surround Jerusalem. And everyone is going to think that there's going to be a teaching that's going to occur. But in fact, he's going to, he's going to surround them and he's going to say, erase Jerusalem from the face of the earth. And he's going to do this on Sabbath on Passover, when all the Jews of the earth will gather, when there's going to be millions there, when there's going to be freedom, when all the Jews are going to feel free because they're part of the European Union now, then they're going to be destroyed. This is what Christ had said about these same kind of times. He said, pray so that your... 
которое не было от начала и после не будет. Everything that happened to the Jews and what will happen soon, it's going to be nothing has happened like this before. But he said to his disciples who were going to remain to the Meshachites, because Christians in Israel call themselves Meshachites. Messiah, Christ, this is the Greek word, Mashiach, anointed. He's going to say, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, do not take anything with you. Go out from the city, go out into the hills, the mountains. And in this time, it's going to be given a declare to the army men because they're going to be everywhere. They're going to let all people go who are without their clothes. Because if they're with their clothes and they want to run away, that means that he is suspecting something. He said, don't take anything with you. Go into the hills, the mountains. And those who are going to be run to the mountains, they're going to be, they're going to be protected from this. Because when the Jews are killed and when the uh, millions die and their blood will be spilled, the heavens at that time will be opened. And a white horse will appear. The bride will return with the Messiah. The army of the Antichrist, the Antichrist himself will be destroyed. The false prophet Antichrist will be taken and thrown into the lake of fire. This is where we are standing right now. This is where we have come. That's why it's very important for us to understand what this is talking about here. About but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and sons of day. We are sons of day if we know this. When we see this and we know all the political structures are complete, completely differently, take a look at every political event, but we're going to see all of this different as sons of light and sons of day. It says, you know that all these events are coming. All these events work toward one thing, the political structures being changed, the sun rising, the sun setting, all of this is to prepare you and to prepare the place for the Antichrist. That's not all. These two great lights that are called to rule the day and night is an image of how the new man rules over his old man and how the spiritual man, through the influence of his light, rules over the carnal man. The principle of gaining sight is comprised of the fulfillment of our goal that is contained in a covenant with God. Now we say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 1 through 5. Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And one more moment that I would like to pay your attention to. 
Uh, the covenant between God and man is a legal possession of each other and identification in each other. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. A component of a covenant with God and the right to possess one another is a condition of a marital partnership in which God and man, who is in likeness of him, are dissolved in one another. Having been dissolved in God, our beloved, a person receives the opportunity to demonstrate the great mystery of unity that is present in relationships with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, let's uh, change this from husband and wife, but God and us. We're not talking about just husband and wife. When he's talking about husband and wife, He's talking about the relationship between man and God. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together against so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 33 says directly, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So one covenant between man and God is the right to legal possession of each other and identification in each other. John 17, 23 says, I am them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Amen. May we bow our, bend our knees, bow our heads and let the Lord bless us so that we can be washed in this bath of Shiloh so that we can demonstrate the perfection of light so that we can have God because he can't have us while we are carnal only when we are spiritual can we give ourselves up fully and he can give himself up fully and this is going to be a marvelous time Amen, let us pray Blessed are you God in your wisdom, in your Holy Spirit, blessed are you in your counsel, in your agreement with man. I thank you that you have entrusted your great wisdom, that you have come to man and you have offered him sovereign relations in which you want to give yourself to man and you want man to consciously and voluntarily give himself up into your complete control, to give himself up only on your conditions. Allow us to acknowledge these conditions, to study them, so that we can fulfill them, so that we can give ourselves up to you, so that we can fulfill your will, so that we can bow down before your unique order that you establish in your body. May we be kings and priests before your countenance, as you have said, 
I will make you kings and priests to Lord, give us not just to be called kings and priests, but to be so. Teach us to acknowledge how we can produce total dedication and total sanctification so that we can be priests to you, so that we can enter into your presence and represent your perfect will and not our interests, so that we can proclaim the incorruptible inheritance as though it exists and not our own desires. Teach us to rejoice in what we have. Teach us to thank you for what we have. When we understand that we are not from this world and that the truth is not in how much material goods we have, but how much we have in our heart, the imperishable inheritance that has been placed when it is ready to be revealed to us and when we look upon the inexistent and express, proclaim your mercy. All of this we can do thanks to your covenant on your conditions. Teach us to fulfill your will and not try to fulfill our own desires. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us in that we were unfaithful to you due to our ignorance or our selfishness. Teach us to stoop down to one another, forgive one another as you have forgiven us in Christ. May your mercy be praised forever and ever. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power forever. Amen. Let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.